0: Welcome to the Locust Valley Chapel Sermon Podcast. Our mission as a church is to help you discover, develop, and demonstrate life with Jesus. We pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you as you listen to today's message. And if you'd like more information about our church, you can visit our website, locustvalleychapel.org. And now, today's message. You turn your Bibles to Acts chapter three. We're we're in a series in the book of Acts called The Kingdom Continued. Acts one one starts out in my former book. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And the book of Acts is really a continuation of all that Jesus began to do and teach. It's about what he continues to do and teach through his church, his body, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're just going through this book one chapter a week. Week by week, and we're gonna start this morning in Acts chapter three, verse one. We read this one day. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. I want you to notice that what we're about to read this morning happens not at the temple, not at the meeting, it happens on the way to the temple, it happens on the way. To the meeting, There doesn't even seem to be anything special about this day. It's just one day. Like other scriptures we looked at over the summer, you know, John chapter 7, it was the, the last and greatest day of the festival when Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, if anyone believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from them. It, it's not even like the day of Pentecost. We looked at last week, Acts chapter 2, where it was the day of Pentecost. This is just one day on the way. We need to keep that in mind as we go about this, uh, what what we we like to tend to think of normal everyday life. Because often that's where God is at work, on the way. So they are on the way to the temple. Verse 2 says, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now chapter 4 of the book of Acts tells us that this man is over 40 years old. So he spent a lot of days at this gate begging. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And the title of today's message is, what I do have, I give you. What I do have, I give you. How many know we cannot give people what we do not have? In Matthew 10:1, Jesus tells us that Jesus called his 12 disciples together and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits an authority to heal every sickness and disease and then he sent them out saying as you go proclaim this message the kingdom of heaven has come near heal the sick raise the dead cleanse those who have leprosy drive out demons freely you have received freely give that's what Peter's doing here in Acts chapter 3. He's, he's experiencing the kingdom of God continuing. He's living out what Jesus declared would happen in John 14, 12, where he said, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and will do even greater things. How I many know Jesus healed a man by a gate in John chapter 5 who couldn't walk either? He is described in John chapter 5 as someone who had been an invalid for 38 years. Almost the same kind of situation. And Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Then he told him to get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Well, Peter's doing the works that Jesus has been doing. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, What I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk, taking him by the right hand. He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. God. Miraculous. He didn't have to learn how to walk. He just walked and jumped and praised. Man, if we want to see the kingdom of God continue to come through people like us, if we want to lessen the gap between what we see happening in the Bible And what we see happening in our lives, if we want to see that gap closed, then Acts chapter 3, I think, begs us to ask two questions What do I have, and how do I give what I do have? What do I have, and how do I give what I do have? Let's start with that first question What do we have in Jesus? See, when this guy gets healed, he goes into the temple walking and jumping and praising God. The people who saw this were astonished. Of course they were. Verse 11 says they came running to Peter and John. And then Peter says to them in verse 12, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? What Peter's essentially saying is that in and of ourselves, apart from God, we've got nothing got empty hands, which is exactly what he heard Jesus say in John chapter 5 when when the Jewish leaders began to persecute him because he had healed a man who couldn't walk the same way, and they started to to persecute him because he did it on the Sabbath, and Jesus said, hey, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. That's what Peter's doing. He's doing what Jesus did. Verse 16, he says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see, and now is made strong. It is in Jesus' name. Now remember, names in the Bible, they have to do with a person's character. They describe what somebody's like. So in Jesus' name, they're not some kind of magical words that we tack on to the end of our prayers. In Jesus' name is an appeal to Jesus' character, an appeal to who Jesus is, what Jesus is like, what Jesus does. He says it is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus is like, and what Jesus does. So if we really want to get a grasp of what we have because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus is like, and because of what Jesus does, then we need to press in to our relationship with Jesus. Press in to our relationship with Jesus. I'm using that word press purposefully here. I'm using it in the sense that it means to to place an emphasis on. We're, we're pressing into our relationship with Jesus. That word, mean, the press means to insist on. It means to, to follow through. It's not, it's not passive. And when I say we need to press into our relationship with Jesus, I mean I'm talking about intentionally pursuing him. Pursuing intimacy with him. That's where where what we have in him begins to take root in a way that's transformational. See, there's a difference between knowing what I have because of my relationship with Jesus and what I have taking hold of me in a way that's transformational, my life and others. I was driving um, south on Route 309 one morning this past week, and it's a beautiful time of year, isn't it? Uh, in the mornings, the sun just kind of comes up, and there's these beautiful sunrises. And as I'm driving south, it was the sunrise was gorgeous, but it was so bright. It was just coming in the driver's side window, and, and it was almost this blinding light. And I made this observation. As person after person drove by me and, and passed me, I noticed they were, they were squinting. Or, or they were leaning forward really close to the windshield as if that was going to help the light from blinding them. Or they were placing their hands up alongside of their face. And the thought occurred to me. Every car that I've ever owned has this really cool device attached to the roof right in front of you called a sun visor. And, and not only does this sun visor fold down to block the sun in front of you, if you pull it out a little bit, it actually swings to the side and it will block the sunlight on the side of you. And yet I did not see one driver that morning taking hold of their visor and putting it to use the way that it was intended to be used. And I think that's how many of us are going through our life with Jesus. Having everything we need available to us. I mean, 2 Peter 1 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him. And yet many of us are going through life squinting or or leaning forward or trying to block with our hands other stuff, doing our own strength, what Pastor Carlos just said, what Jesus intended to do in us and through us. Let me just share a couple verses with you. These just scratch the surface. Ephesians 1, 7, 8 says, In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. Sang about it this morning. We have the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. Man, that's just three of the things that we've received in Christ that should be changing our lives. We have redemption. Jesus has purchased us back from the dead with His blood and brought us to life. That means we have value. We have forgiveness of sins. That means he cancels the debt that we owed because of our sin. He removes our shame and he refuses to bring it up again against us. And we have God's grace, God's unmerited, unearned favor lavished on us. That means we didn't just receive a little, we receive a lot. That's just a couple verses. Going down a little further, Ephesians 1, 17 to 19, Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his inglorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Man, that's quite a list, and that's only five verses. Then you read the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's loaded with what we have in Christ. And that's just one book of the Bible. But if we don't press in, if we don't press into our relationship and we don't take hold, we'll never, we'll never grasp in a way that's transformational all that we have in Christ. We may know it. We may even commit it to memory. But it'll never be fully realized in a way that changes us and changes the lives of those around us. It'll be like having a sun visor in our car and squinting instead of taking hold of. So we need to press in. Acts 3.1. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. If you have your Bible open, underline that word, the, or circle it, or something. It says it's the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. I want to suggest this little detail goes a long way in helping us understand how those disciples pressed in to their relationship with God. See, what I see when I read this is that this was not just a time of prayer. It was the time of prayer. It wasn't just prayer when I'm not too busy or, or prayer when I can find the time. It was prayer because they made time. It was part of their rhythm that formed them and made them more like Jesus. How I many know every single one of us follow a particular pattern or rhythm in our lives? We all have a routine that we go through every day intentionally or unintentionally? Every one of us. We get up in the morning, we put our clothes on, we eat, we have some kind of routine, some kind of, uh, of pattern that we live by. The question is this, is the rhythm that I'm living by helping form me in Christ by helping me stay connected to him? If you turn to John chapter 15 for a minute, I'll show you what I mean. In John chapter 15, verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine My father is the gardener. In verse 4 he says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So if we want to press into our relationship with Jesus so we can fully realize, fully take hold of all we have in Christ, then we need to have a rhythm that helps us remain in Christ. A rhythm that helps us stay connected to him. Listen to how Jesus put it in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so in the book of Acts, what we've been reading about is is their rhythm that helped them remain in Christ. It included the the four pathways that we looked at last week in Acts 2.42. Remember what those four were? The apostles' teaching. For us, that would be the scriptures, the Bible, the fellowship, the koinonia, being on mission together for uh, everyone using their gifts. They were committed to the breaking of of bread, to eating together, and they were committed to prayer. And those four practices they were devoted to. They helped them stay connected to Jesus, and they were intentional about them being part of their regular rhythm, their regular routine. For example, Acts 2.26 tells us every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Meeting together is just part of their daily rhythm. And We find it hard to make time to meet once a week to worship together or, or gather once a week in a small group, but they consider it so important, so vital... So much a part of helping them remain connected to Christ. They did this every day. Same with prayer. Acts 3.1 tells us that this was the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. They're probably following the Jewish pattern of praying three times a day. So they can stay connected to Jesus helping be formed in him. The point is, these these pathways, they weren't just things that they hoped would happen. They weren't just good intentions. They made these practices that helped them remain in Christ part of their rhythm, part of their routine. And so we need to ask: are there are there practices in our rhythm? Practices in our routine that help us remain in Christ? Matt said this a minute ago. We all have a rhythm. We all have a routine. If you're not sure what your current rhythm is, what your current routine is, here's what I would encourage you to do. Even if you think you're, you're sure of what it is, I would encourage all of us for the next five days at the end of each day, take out a notebook, take 10 minutes, notebook or a journal, write down everything that you can remember of what you did that particular day. Just make a list. All the stuff you did. Yeah. How you woke up, how you got dressed, what you had for breakfast, whatever. What, what, what did you do throughout the day? How many times did you check your email? How many times did you look on your Instagram account? If you have an Apple device, man, they got things in there to tell you screen time, how much time you spent on your screen. You know, just look and make a list of everything you did. It may sound tedious, but man, do this for five days. And you'll begin to see what your pattern is. You'll begin to see what your rhythms are. And then at the end of the five days, take some time, Set aside some time to go over that list line by line with the Holy Spirit and ask him to show you the answer to this question. How is this activity forming me or transforming me as a person? Because we are being formed and transformed all the time, whether we're aware of it or not. So go through your list, activity by activity, and say, how's this forming me? Is it making me more like Christ? Is it helping me stay connected to Christ? Or is it a a hindrance? Is it something that's pushing me away from Christ. What's on that list that's helping you remain? And if there isn't anything on that list yet, what do you need to make part of your daily or weekly or monthly rhythm? In other words, are there practices that serve as pathways that help you stay connected to the vine? If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's first. Second part of pressing into our relationship with Jesus involves having a rhythm to remove or prune all of the stuff that hinders us from remaining in Christ and keeps us from being fruitful. In verse 2, Jesus says, He cuts off the Father, every branch in me that bears no fruit. And listen to this. While well, every branch that does bear fruit, so now he's talking about the people that are remaining in him, the people that are connecting to him, he says, every branch that does bear fruit, he... Prunes. Why? So that it will be even more fruitful. I shared a while back in a sermon about this YouTube video that I watched on vineyards and how vineyards work and how they prune the grapevines. And man, there was this one vine dresser that they interviewed. He said that in order to produce the most fruit, he has to prune back, get this, 90% of the previous year's growth so that the sap can get to the the branches and and, and provide the biggest yield, most fruit. That's a lot of pruning, 90%, but it's so critical. Like if there are things in our life that come out of that list that are not forming us to become like Jesus, or if there are rhythms or activities that are keeping us from taking hold of all that we have available to us in Christ, that stuff needs to be pruned back. And the only way I know how to do that is to make sure that I've got some practices in my rhythm that allow space for the Holy Spirit to do His work. So I'm talking about things like silence, giving God space to speak, giving the Holy Spirit space to speak. I'm talking about reflection, taking time to reflect. Do you ever, sl- man, slowing down? Do you ever take time to just slow down and reflect? On what's going on in your life. Because, man, I don't know about you, but I could become pretty good at convincing myself that everything is fine. I could be pretty good at believing the lie that if I'm busy, I'm productive, or I'm successful. And that's not always true. I don't know how to do it except for pray prayers like the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139. He prayed, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there are any offensive ways in me. What's he doing? He's praying that God would prune anything from him that would prevent him from loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is the greatest command. And think about it. Search me, God. Know my heart. What's he talking about? He's talking about his inner being. He's talking about his soul. Loving God with all his heart, with all his soul. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Thoughts have to do with our minds. Loving God with all of our minds. See if there's any offensive way in me. He's talking about loving God with all our strength. Our way has to do with how we live our life. The first followers of Jesus in the book of Acts were called followers of the way. So see if there's any way that's offensive. And if there's anything that needs to be pruned back to make me more fruitful, God help me get rid of it. So make sure you have practices that give God space to do this. Practices like solitude, silence, fasting, prayer, listening, reflecting, journaling. Those are just a few that come to mind. If I want to know what I have in Christ, I've got to press into my relationship with him by having a rhythm that helps me remain and a rhythm that helps me to prune. Once we begin pressing in to our relationship with Christ, we start taking hold of what we have in Christ, then we come to the second question. How do we then give what we do have? And I think there are four things we learn from Acts chapter 3 about this. First, We look out for where God is at work all around us. Acts chapter 3 says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. I think if we're going to give what we have, we need to be on the lookout for where God is at work or where God is wanting to work, or we're just going to miss it. If our eyes aren't open, if we're not looking for opportunities, how many know this was not the first time Peter and John saw this man at this gate? It wasn't the first time. How do we know that? You might have picked up on the detail in verse 2. It said, This man was put there at the temple gate every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So he's put there every day to beg, and where are Peter and John going every day to pray? Same place. Same place. So they're walking by him every day. In fact, after he gets healed, the people recognize him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate. He is a fixture there. So Peter and John have have been walking by this guy every day. And yet on this day, this day, something's different. Peter looks straight at him. And so did John. You want to get into the habit of of giving what you do have? Make it a habit of looking out and asking the Holy Spirit to show you where are you already at work or where do you want to work. It's amazing the opportunities we'll see if we'll just pray that simple prayer. God, help me see what you see. Help me to see the opportunities that are put before me in everyday life. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 4, right before he healed the man that was lame at a different gate. He said, Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So press in to your relationship with God. Then look out to see where God might be working. And then the next thing we learned about giving what we do have is there are times when we need to speak up. Where we need to speak up. In verse 4, the first thing Peter says to this man is, Look at us. What does that mean? means the guy must have had his head down or he must have been looking away so he's asking Peter and John for money but he's not looking at them why my guess would be that it probably had to do with some unhealthy shame that he was carrying around in his life I mean for one he's put there every day to beg there's a good chance that not everyone was nice to this guy There's a good chance he might even feel like a burden of having to be sitting there every day, asking these same people who are walking past him every day, can you help? Can you help? Can you help? He's also living in a time where where people often, wrongfully by the way, equated disabilities or, or illness with sinfulness. And you might remember in John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples came across a man when they were walking along who was blind from birth. And the first question his disciples asked Jesus was, Jesus, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus points out that it was neither. That was faulty thinking on their part, but it was common thinking. Let me tell you, just because something's common or just because a majority of people think one way, it does not mean it's the right way. Either way, this guy's got his head down. Peter speaks up. says, look at us. What's he doing? He's making a connection. It's making a connection. That's what that's what words do sometimes. That's what conversations do sometimes. They help us connect with people. See, Peter Wagner in his commentary writes that beggar would have instantly understood that Peter was establishing a social relationship, brief as it might have been. I mean, think about this for a minute. Like, we've all gotten off the exit of a highway and come across somebody at the bottom of the exit holding a sign asking for help, right? We've all been in that situation. And what do we do? If we, if we want to help, we make eye contact. We roll the window down. We might say something to them as we give them something. But if we want to avoid them, man, we make sure that our eyes don't meet, don't we? We just like straight ahead. Peter looks out to see where God's working. He looks at them. He makes eye contact. And then he speaks up and says in verse 6, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. See, if we never speak up, if we never engage in conversations, we don't even always know what people need most. This guy thought he needed money. Peter's about to give him something different. He says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He's pointing him to Jesus, the only one who has the capacity to heal, not just his physical disability, that's clearly evident and it's powerful, but he's also pointing him to the one that has the capacity to heal his soul. He's pointing him to the one that has the capacity to lift his head out of that shame that he's in. Guys, there are times when the Holy Spirit's nudging us to speak up. Sometimes just to have a conversation to help somebody connect. Other times it's to tell people the good news of Jesus. Like, remember, Jesus was powerful in deed and word. It wasn't one or the other. It was both. It was demonstration and proclamation, serving others and speaking to others. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Romans 10.14 in the New Living Translation puts it this way, But how? Can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they, if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Unless someone speaks up. We don't have to force opportunities. We don't have to have all the answers. Many times giving what we do have just means engaging in conversations that invite people to thirst or to ask more questions where they want to know more. But man, other times the opposite is true as well. Sometimes people will reject what we have to say and that's just reality. I wish it wasn't so, but, but not everyone we speak up with about and share Jesus with is going to respond positively. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. If everyone that you speak up to about Jesus responds positively, then you either have the gift of evangelism or, I would, or, or you're probably not speaking up enough. Because if you were speaking up enough, you would face some rejection, which is one of our biggest fears. But man, there were times when Jesus spoke up and people clearly rejected him and walked away. Jesus told this rich young guy, if you want to be perfect, I, you, I know you've said you've kept all the commands, but if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give them to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. Did he do that? No. Matthew 19, 22 tells us when the man heard this, heard what Jesus said, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Even many of Jesus' disciples left when some of the hard things that he had to say. John six sixty says, on hearing what Jesus was teaching, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Verse 66 said, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And so I want to speak to what often keeps us from speaking up, and that's that fear of rejection. Here's what we need to remember. And by the way, this is why it's so important to press into our relationship with Jesus. Because how people respond to what you say in love, what you speak up about in love, does not change at all who you are in Christ or what you have available in Christ. And we need to remember that. Romans 8, 31, 31 to 38 has this long list of all the things that cannot separate us from the love of God. And it concludes with these words, Not, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, that, anything else includes being rejected by other people. It says, we'll be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Claim to that cling to that. If we want to give what we do have, it often involves speaking up. And then in most instances, it also involves stepping out in faith. Verse 7, let's look at that one again. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Now, this is another one of those areas that, man, I, I'll be honest with you, I get I often get gripped by the fear of failure in this one. Like, Peter takes a step of faith. He reaches out his hand. If that was me, I'm thinking, like, what if I step out? What if I act in faith? What if I reach out for this man's hand and he he can't move still? What if he just stays stuck there sitting? Like, what if I take this guy by the right hand and he's not healed? I mean, that's a very real possibility, isn't it? I mean, we've talked about the already not yet nature of God's kingdom how we see a lot of kingdom activity now, but it won't be perfect until Jesus returns, and that while Jesus can and does heal now, it doesn't mean that every time we step out in faith, that's going to happen. Remember, this guy was put there by this gate every day for years. There's a good chance that people have prayed for this guy before. There's a good chance that you walk by this guy every day for 40 years and go, man, I don't think God's showing up. I don't think God's going to heal him. And I want to say this, if Peter had reached out his arm, took this guy by the hand, and the man didn't get up, and the man didn't heal, if nothing happened, that would not have meant that Peter was a failure. Probably wouldn't have made it into the book of Acts, but... But it wouldn't have changed who Peter was in Christ. It wouldn't have changed what Peter had in Christ, because success is not defined by the results that we see, right? Even when we don't see it, you're working Success is radical obedience to Jesus regardless of the results. Peter was just doing what he saw Jesus do. He saw Jesus reach out and raise up Jairus' daughter. This just happened to be the day that God had in mind to heal this man in Jesus' name. So when we step out in faith, know that that's not changing who we are, what we have available to us in any realm. And we don't, we don't have the capacity in us to do it anyway. So listen, if God doesn't do it, it's not necessarily on us. It's on God. It's it's something that doesn't change. John Wimber once put it like this. He said said in his church, he said, we used to pray for no one. And when we did that, no one got healed. He said, now we pray for everyone and some get healed. And I would just ask this, isn't some better than none? So why not just step out? Put it in God's hands. Press in. Look out. Speak up. Step out. And then finally, one last one. Walk alongside someone else. Give what you do have together. Here's what I mean by that. Anyone notice how many times John is mentioned in these verses that we looked at? He's mentioned quite a bit for someone who doesn't have any words, doesn't really have any actions other than looking at the man. Over and over again, Peter's doing all the talking. Peter's doing the reaching out with his arms. And yet over and over again, Luke is reminding us that John is with Peter. That phrase, Peter and John, is mentioned four times. In these verses. Verse 1, Peter and John were going up to the temple. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter. Verse 4, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Verse 11, the man held on to Peter and John. And then four other times in the passage, the word them is used to refer to Peter and John. And then twice, Peter uses the plural pronoun us. He says, look at us, verse 4. Why do you stare at us, verse 12? Then he uses the pronoun our, as if by our power. And then he uses the pronoun we, as if we had made this man walk. That's 12 different words or phrases that are reminding us Peter was not alone. He was with John. It's Peter and John walking alongside together. The NIV has a heading in Acts chapter 3. It's The headings in your Bible, those aren't inspired. Those are, those are added to help us keep it organized. But it says in my NIV, it says, Peter heals a lame beggar. I think a more accurate heading might be Peter and John heal a lame beggar. Or better yet, Jesus heals a lame beggar through Peter and John by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter does all the talking. Peter gets all the attention, but I can't help but wonder if Peter wouldn't even have looked out for what God was doing if John wasn't with him. Because Peter was kind of impulsive, wasn't he? I mean, Peter and John are running to the tomb. Peter just boom—he goes right back in. But John kind of sits back and waits, and he looks. And I can't help but wonder if it was John being with him. There was just this quiet presence, this reminder look out, see where God's working. Peter might not even have had the courage to speak up if John was not with him. How I many know it's a lot easier to talk about Jesus to others when you're with somebody else than it is when you're by yourself? It just is just is. We have, we have more courage. There's something about the power of a team. There's something about the strength of togetherness. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12 says two are better than one for a number of reasons. First, it says they have a good return for their labor. In other words, two can be more fruitful than one. Two, they can help each other up if one falls or if one fails. The passage in Ecclesiastes actually says pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And third, they can fight for each other. And you're not alone. You go into battle together. You can defend themselves. Verse 12 of Ecclesiastes 4 says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. There's a reason that Jesus brought Peter, James, and John with him into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. We need to walk this journey together. Press in, look out, speak up, step out, and don't do it alone. Walk alongside someone else, man. This guy, this guy had no idea what he was going to get when he asked for help that day, did he? I mean, he thought he was going to, he thought he was going to receive some money. He received so much more. He received a healing, not just in his feet and in his ankles, but in his soul. When Peter took him by the hand and he began to walk, he went into the temple courts. Verse eight says, walking and jumping and praising God, giving glory back to God he's not one second into his conversion and his healing and he's already giving what he does have I want to wrap this up today by just creating some space for us we just have a few minutes and I want to create some space for us to, to press into our relationship with God this morning to look out maybe to speak up maybe to step out Maybe to walk alongside. I'm not going to dismiss you this morning. I'm just gonna I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and then when you're ready, you can you can go. If you want to come up this morning and spend some time in solitude by yourself and create space to press in, we always say this side of the front of the room is is that space where if you come up and you just want to stay there, we won't bother you. We won't come over and ask you what we can pray for. It's just enough, just you pressing into God. If you want someone to pray with you this morning, for anything, it would be really tragic to read this amazing passage in Acts chapter 3 about man being miraculously healed. And if there's someone sitting here that needs healing for something, to so not come for prayer. So if you, if you want someone to pray with you, there'll be some elders and some elders' wives over on this side that are willing to pray with and for you. And then, again, when you're ready to go, you can go. Don't feel like you have to stay two minutes after I pray. But if you want to stay, we've got till 11 o'clock before the next service starts. So we don't have to rush this at all. So I'm going to pray, ask the Holy Spirit to come, and then you go when you're ready. So, Holy Spirit, we just want to create some space here right now for you to speak into our lives. It's probably going to be more of a pressing in time than a speaking up time or a stepping out in faith time. But Lord, that might happen as we go into the, in fact, as we go into the lobby after we're, we leave this place as we have a cup of coffee or as we're talking, engaging in conversation, Lord, I pray that if you're nudging us or prompting us to speak out or step out or walk alongside someone else, Lord, that so much of what you do, we read this morning, happens on the way. It doesn't always happen in the service or at the temple. It's like stuff that happens. So many as we're on our way to that coffee pot or that tea or that water or we're on our way to the doors, pray we'd see Pray we'd look out. Say, God, where are you you working? What do you want me to see? Who do you want me to see? Who do you want me to look at this morning? God, is there there a conversation that you want me to have that might be an encouragement to someone before I leave this morning? If we're watching online, maybe there's somebody that you want to text or somebody you want to call or somebody you want to email or something that you want to respond somehow to what you're seeing the Holy Spirit show you. And Lord, we just want this to be a time to go deeper in our walk with you. And so we open this space to spend some time with you by ourselves if we want. Come and ask for prayer. Prayer. Or maybe we're just ready to, to be dismissed and go, and that's all those are, those three wonderful options. Lord, we don't want to force anything, but we do want to see this gap, I call it, between what we read about and see in Scripture and what we often experience or don't experience in our own lives. Lord, we want to see that gap lessened, smaller. And so, Lord, we want to be open to whatever you want to do this morning. I pray all these things in your name.